0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Refine and Grow with Justin and Lindsay. My name is Lindsay Allen.
1: And my name is Justin Eulen. And this is your podcast for proven strategies on navigating and managing work life.
0: On this week's episode of Refine and Grow with Justin and Lindsay, we have David Chata, who's the author coach, trainer, facilitator, and speaker. He brings over 20 years of leadership experience to organizations, team development, and training. He's worked in a wide array of industries such as healthcare, manufacturing, property development, semiconductors, veterinarian services, lumber, tires, aerial firefighting, and more. He lives in the mountains of East Tennessee with his wife and two children. His newest book, Executive Retreats for Busy Business Leaders, builds off of his previous book, Embrace What You Don't Know, A Stupid Guide to Smart Business Leadership. David, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks, Justin. I'm so excited to be here with both of you. I'm a subscriber. I listen.
0: We love that. We're thrilled to have you. David, tell us a little bit about your books. We were talking earlier before we started the recording about how your newest book builds off the initial one. So can you tell us a little bit about the context behind that and add some details of why you wrote the book, what compelled you to want to write this down and share it with others?
2: Yeah, what happened was I caught myself one day thinking, I said this before. I've said it like maybe 100 or 500 times. And the idea that came to me was maybe I should start writing down the operating system behind the work that I do with organizations. And so that's where the first book came from, which is Embrace What You Don't Know. And it really just covers some simple ways that people can gain stability in their lives personally as leaders and in their leadership and in their organization. And that was really the foundation leading up to the most recent one which just came out you know maybe two months ago executive retreats for busy business leaders and you know executive retreats for busy business leaders is about the individual leader whereas the first book was about the organization and how all these pieces fit together this most recent one was meant specifically for leaders leadership leadership health because as i have worked with a number of leaders i just started to see the same things over and over again And in particular, what I started to notice was that a lot of them have the same traits that I have. And that is in particularly, we just give to the world more than we give to ourselves. And so I wanted to write executive retreats for busy business leaders to create a conversation about all the different disciplines that people can put in their lives as leaders to remain healthy, steady, peaceful, and I mean, ultimately productive, but I would say even bigger than that, to get more in line with how we're wired. We're not wired to be productive machines. We're wired to be human beings. And so I wanted to emphasize that point as well.
1: So I come from more of a professional services background, more of the consulting background. You come from more of a coaching background. In the Venn diagram of what we do, there's definite overlap. Lindsay and I focus on strategic and tactical organizational change management, organizational design, organizational strategy. And there's definitely a strong organizational psychological component and even an individual psychological component to what we do. And I think that's where there's strong overlap with how you look at things. But what do you find differentiating about your role as a coach, say over and against like the background that Lindsay and I have? What is your kind of elevator pitch to a corporate executive in regards to what you kind of bring to the table?
2: Well, having spent some time with you, Justin, I'm aware of the huge toolbox of resources that you have. And I know there is overlap. I know a big difference though would be when I meet with leaders, oftentimes they come to me through an HR leader or they found me in some other way and they're lacking a particular competency to help them really excel in in an executive role because usually that's where they're being promoted to or being promoted from one executive position to another. And as we start to dig on what's underneath You know, your reason for operating like this. What usually comes up is a lot of story things and a lot of personal things. And so, like, the way I describe to my executive clients is coaching is a journey from A to Z. And Z is where you want to be. A is where we're at. But it doesn't mean that stumbling over all the other letters is not appropriate. So all the other things that are going to come up, we need to talk about if you feel they're relevant to the conversation about your own growth and development and ability to excel in the position that you're trying to you know, do well in. From a coaching perspective, I think it's heavier on that side. And so my elevator pitch to leaders when I talk to them is really more of a question. And the question is, how well do you think you're able to sustain your work? Or how well do you think you're able to sustain the growth that's happening in your organization? Because the higher you go in any organization, the more emotional weight you carry. So if you're not emotionally healthy, at some point your behavior will multiply. And when you start to look at various landmines that can't exist within an organization, oftentimes it's traceable back to the people who are at the top. And so it is somewhat strategic. It is somewhat you know, in the world that you live in, but I think it's more so in the world of emotional, relational health so that they can sustain their work. Yeah. How do you break down that barrier? Because I find that within the corporate
1: setting, we often wear a mask, some kind of corporate persona. There's a hard line between how an individual or an executive in particular, a senior leader shows up in their corporate life and how they show up in their personal life. Those are often incongruent. And you're talking about really breaching that wall, So within the corporate setting, how do you breach that wall to really get to that soft, chewy middle and have that deeper, more meaningful and quite vulnerable discussion?
2: Yeah. Well, for me, what I've noticed over and over again is there are particular competencies to get better at. People skills, conflict, you know, that kind of thing. Strategic planning, intentionality with your time. I mean, those are competencies that are generally pretty important for any high-level leader to steward really well. But back to this word sustain, but you can't sustain those competencies if there's not a belief change about yourself and about what you can do and what you can get from your work environment. So like as an example, the way that I might breach that divide is by really having a person look at the overall system of their lives. So as an example, one of the things that leads to exhaustion and burnout is because a leader or is looking to their organization or their team to fill all these voids in their experience that organization can't fill. So do you have any other mentors in your life? Do you take any time for yourself? Do you have any strategic time slices in your life where you go just to be you, where you turn off your phone and you unplug, where you get clear on your values and your voice, you know, and how you're going to manifest your voice, not only in your organization, but in your life. It's almost like a lot of people don't realize until it's too late how imbalanced their lives are until a problem occurs. Like the person who wrote the introduction is a former client of mine, his name is Paul Pickle, and he leads a company called Landtronics. And in the introduction to the book, Executive Retreats for Busy Business Leaders, he talks about you know guiding this company in a process where it was eventually acquired by another company for $10 billion and how he thought that he was going to take some time off. But what he realized after a couple of weeks of time off is that he didn't know how to sit still. It's like he said, we have to get up and do something here. And so he went and joined another startup and it further exhausted him. And his story is that within the span of a few months, his dad died, his sister died, his dog died, and his house burned down. It's And it's not funny, but you have to laugh sometimes when something's so painful because we don't know how else to respond. And Oh, and his wife said, you need to go get you know yourself looked at. And so what he realized in, what's it called? A blood panel, is that what they call it? That he had adrenal fatigue and they had told him his body looked like an 85-year-old from an inside you know, look. And he was only 49 at the time. And so it wasn't until he realized through pure physical exhaustion how imbalanced his life was and finding balance actually was found in a lot of simplicity, which is in some of the things that I was sharing with you. So unfortunately, people burn out faster than they're aware they need help. And so what I like to do when I work with leaders and organizations is try to help them to gain more balance before the burnout. Give me an example
1: of working with a client who's heavily resistant to that guidance. Like you can see it, but they don't necessarily see it yet. They haven't had those Job-like experiences that show them that they're in sinking sand, right? How do you help to open that client up?
2: Oh man, I have so many thoughts on that. I wonder though, I want to turn around on you and hear what have you done? I want to learn from you on this too. <laughs> I'm actually currently in a situation
1: where I'm working with my boss as a senior vice president for strategic transformation. And basically all the sticky wickets, all the tough, major transformative initiatives that we're trying to drive in the organization kind of come through my boss. And he and I and a team of us are right now working on one of the most fundamental transformations our that we ever gone through. And it is, it's been a real challenge. And the, the struggle I have, my boss is a real executor and I've learned a lot from him. He's really about execution and outcomes. I'm very much at the school that you start slow to go fast, set the foundation, ensure you have a solid plan, you understand the risks and build up. Unfortunately, we're in an environment right now where there's kind of not the patience to set that foundation. It's very much in a, let's throw it up and then see where the failure points are. And then we'll fix the failure points. And I think it's actually slowed us down. So, from an organizational perspective, I'm really seeing the, I wouldn't say unhealth, I would just see the risk in moving fast and trying to transform quickly without really taking a step back, assessing the situation, identifying the risk, and then proceeding with intention. But there's just not that patience. There's a bit of a dance that I'm playing. So what can I get after or help the company get after very, very quickly versus where do I have some time to lay some of that foundation while I'm building? So initially I said, okay, I'll play your game. I have concerns about it, but I'll do it. And after we kind of stumbled, out of the gate, started to steal some time back and work on some of those foundational elements that we needed to drive a more sustainable transformation. It's been educational for me. You know, I'm 17, 18 years into professional services. I'm internally focused right now on a major internal transformation, and I'm having to retool a little bit and refine my approach and identify where can we gain some advantage very, very quickly versus where do I figure out where the compromise is? At the end of the day, it comes back to the individual leaders. I believe the most influential people in an organization are the senior leaders. And so if they're coming from a place of health, if they're coming from a place of balance, if they're coming from a place of groundedness, as opposed to freneticness, the organization will feel that. The way the executive operates, the leader operates, so operates the organization.
2: Frankly, I'm experiencing that in real time right now. I see it over and over, and you know. back to your question, I was going to say something kind of similar to what you said. There's some real magic in slowing down in order to speed up. You might remember, man, maybe 10 or 12 years ago, there was a book that came out called Strategic Speed, wrote by the Forum Corporation, and they wanted to study why did some companies go faster and some went slower. And what they found was that the companies that went what they call strategically fast was, which was in a good way. They created the time to slow down and learn lessons and pay attention to what they call the people factors and so the companies that went what they call strategically slow did not slow down to learn lessons to course correct and so on and so from a leadership perspective like i'm working with a, a high level leader right now in a company and i noticed he couldn't do video meetings with me because all these things were happening on his computer and since COVID, everybody wants to do video meetings i mean we did some before but everybody wants it now and that's not i think super awesome. For one, that's hard to connect with people on a video. There's actually a real dynamic called limbic resonance where my brain is trying to connect with your brain magnetically. And we can't do it on a video. Our brain is in overdrive trying to connect on a video with another human in the room, but it's not finding a connection because you're not in the room. That's why we have Zoom fatigue. And so what I asked this client, I said, would it be okay with you if we didn't do video meetings? And instead we just did phone calls while you walked. He said, yeah, let's do it. It was interesting getting him away from his computer and letting him get out on a walk. He realized something about himself. He realized I do so much better thinking when I'm moving. And when I'm talking to another human And in my role, they're actually expecting me to sit still at a video or even work by myself. So it was a big point of awareness. And that's one of the things, one of the reasons I wrote the book was I tell some stories about the importance of getting time away From the nonstop buzz of activity to get clear on your thoughts, who you are, and where you're going to go, which is some of the work I do with leaders when I get them away on retreats. So I think that breaching the gap looks kind of like that. But one more idea is that, you know, you start where they're willing to start. Like I have another leader of a company who just told me all the big problems that she had going on. And of course, I can't share those, it's confidential. But I was asking her, like, what types of help she was willing to look into. And she basically said she wasn't willing to look into any of them except for to do this coaching conversation. I'm like, okay, we'll start there. That's okay. What's important for you to start on? And so we met on the playing field of where she wanted to start because as you know, no one is ready to work on the important things until they're ready and you can't force that. So you have to meet them where they want to start.
1: For sure. No, that limbic response is fascinating. I was just reading or listening to something just in the last couple of weeks where you can actually measure a change in heart rate of an individual who's in one room just by the addition of another person in the other room. And they don't even know that they're present with one another. They're right across the room from one another or across the wall from one another, I should say. Yeah, you can be standing in a room and they measured this. You introduce someone to the room. You don't even know they're there and your body responds. Which sounds incredibly wackadoodle, but it's actually scientifically proven. We can meet for half a day over Zoom. We can get in a room for an hour and get more done. It's amazing the power of personal interaction. I've had about a six-week break from travel, but I've flown 75,000 miles. Three weeks in Europe, visited New York about a dozen times. By far, the most productive sessions I've had are hauling my butt on a plane and spending time with someone in a room. Often asked, is it worth it? I'm like, absolutely. I just got a week's worth of work done as opposed to toiling in, in the dungeon that I'm in currently. So talk to me a little bit about more about your construct around executive retreats, how you frame it, how you position it, not just with the customer or the client, but then what the format or structure of, of a retreat would look like.
2: Yeah, so in the book, I have four main disciplines. Not all of them are with me. Some of them are with other people. You know, We're familiar with the concept of the executive offsite. And so I'll talk about that briefly, but it's much broader than that. And it's interesting that we got into the subject of time together and how it changes people. Because the whole book is built on the Pareto principle about how you know 80% of your impact comes from your 20% of your strategic focus. And so the case I'm making at the beginning is, you know, what if you took 20% of the extra time you're already doing, I'm not saying do more, and just applied it to strategic spaces of time with yourself and with certain people because the case I make in the book is that what changes people is time together. Just like what you were saying, you know, we could have these meetings and talk about good stuff and it would, you know, be helpful to our heads. But there's something magical about time together that really changes people. And so, you know, my four areas I unpack in the book is above all, you've got to get into a practice of going away alone. And this is the classic discipline of solitude and getting the experience in your body that you have an identity and a value beyond what you can produce. And until you can get your body into that place, like my friend who had the blood panel makeup of an 85-year-old, he needed more and more time alone to offset all the years and years of being with people that had really burnt him out. And so what I talk about in the book is to get time alone for yourself, for your own peace, and to remember you have an identity outside of work. The second one is to go away with a guide. And the idea behind this one is that we all need mentors and coaches. Mentors are people who are beyond us in age and place in life, usually. And Time with them where we can ask questions and just be together for the sake of it, for the time, whether it's a professional mentor or a personal mentor. But then there are things that a mentor just can't do with you because of their availability. And so, to go further with the help of a coach, which is something like the work that I do with clients where they say, I want to, you know, here's what's come up for me. I want to spend a couple of days working on it. And so, what I'll do when I go away with a client is, as an example, I mean, it's different for everybody, but the general format of what it might look like is we sync up on your values. Do you know what your values are? Your guiding principles for ways that you will care for yourself, ways that you'll speak for your needs and ways that you organize your life and your leadership and ways that are integrous with who you are. And, you know, one of the reasons I wrote the book was because a year, a little over a year ago, I've gone through a couple of these, but I was experiencing a form of burnout where I was getting tired all the time. And as I began to work on it with a counselor and with some coaches, I realized I wasn't living in integrity, meaning there were things in my outside life that didn't match my values and I needed to get things aligned. And the interesting thing is, as I've gotten more aligned on those values, the better I sleep, I have less chest pain, my health is better, the list goes on. And so, you know, to go away with a guide is a really important second discipline, And then the third one is the executive offsite to go away with your team. Yes, do your strategic planning. There's a lot of great stuff out there. And I even put some tools in my book that I use. But really the emphasis I'm trying to make more is time together will change you and will change your team. So go away to develop trust, learn each other's stories. Google found through their own research that the best teams had two things in common. And this is in their article, I think it's a New York Times article called What Google Learned From Their Quest to Build the Perfect Team. And what they found was the best teams, they knew each other well, they knew their stories, and they trusted each other. That's bucket number one. Number two is they established ways of working. They had norms. So we need to have difficult conversation, conflict. Well, we established what that even means to have conflict on this team, because 12 people hear 12 different things. And so that's why it's important to go with your team to trust each other, know each other, and then that second bucket to establish those norms. And then of course, you know, work on the strategy that your organization needs you to create and lead in in order for them to get the outputs thereafter. And then the last one is go away with your family. And the big question mark, I kind of start the book with is why is this in a book on leadership? And the answer is because your entire organization is made up of families and family members. And back to what I heard you talk about recently, Justin is, you know, trying to set the pace as a leader, because that's how the rest of your organization will behave. And so if you're answering emails and phone calls on your vacation, you're setting a standard that everybody else should do it too. And so it may in the short-term get you the outputs you want, but in the long-term, families are falling apart, engagement's gonna drop, and you're not gonna keep them in the long-term. And so I talk in there about applying intention to your family time and how when you go away with your family, there's really only one thing that you can measure. You know, we measure so many things in the business world but what can you measure with your family? And the answer is you can measure how often you show up for your real life. So in my world, for instance, my son has a minor case of cerebral palsy. I'm never going to go hike the Appalachian Trail with him, but I can do some things with him. You know, He's not in bad shapes. We walk, we do things, but that's my real life. I lived for many years with a wife who struggled with depression. How do I show up for my real wife? So, the last discipline go with your family is about measuring how you show up for your real version of life. So, those are my four disciplines. And the last thing about it is, you know, the whole idea is that you are the executive, you are the boss, you're in charge of your life. And these are the disciplines that you can get in place to be steady, healthy, happy, and productive, I'd say, for the long haul. So, that's the process. No,
1: I love that. And particularly, I mean, you bring up a couple of points that I really value, and that's this whole idea of, You used a different term, but I would almost say congruence, that I show up in the same way regardless. I mean, we all show up slightly differently, right? I have not found it profitable to my marriage to show up in a conversation with my wife like I do at a meeting in New York City, (laughs) but just generally this idea of congruence and I'm generally pretty much the same human being, whether I'm in New York City meeting with a client or whether I'm interacting with my 11-year-old son, there's congruence between who I am in all of those places. When I'm more congruent, I see greater health, and kind of to use a term, greater wholeheartedness. I love that structured kind of approach that you lay out. It makes a ton of sense. And escalation, if you will, you've really got to understand who you are and what your identity is as a human being outside of work before you can start to lead others. And so I love that very intentional kind of alone with a guide, with a coach, and then you bring your team together. Lovely. Just about time to wrap up, but David, if someone wanted to purchase your book, or engage in a conversation with you, and go a little bit deeper, what next steps would they take?
2: Yeah, so the books are anywhere books are, Barnes & Noble, Books a Million and Amazon, all those places. They can also find me on my website, which is my last name, Achata, A-C-H-A-T-A, coaching.com, and there's a contact form on there. They can poke around and look at the work I do with organizations and with leaders. But to get in contact, they can just click the form and find me that way. And of course, I'm on all the social media too. They can find me that way as well. Fantastic. Well, David, thank you so
1: much. And just for our listening audience, I've known David for at least 10 years. I know a lot about his journey, his story, professionally and personally, and I can just wholeheartedly endorse David and the work that he does. So appreciate it.
0: That's all for today's episode. To order your copy of the book, Refine and Grow, Lessons Learned on Navigating the Business World and access additional resources, head out to our website at refineandgrow.com. And tune in next week for an all new episode. Thanks for listening.